Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the JAR. Uh, my name's Chris, and we're so glad that you chose to hang out with us today. And uh, if you would, there's a little card that looks like this that says Forward Faith. So um, in seven weeks, we are going to be moving uh, to the Muncie Civic Theater. And uh, yeah, you can be excited about that. I heard one woo, like woo. Okay. So we're going to be moving there. And uh, we're really excited. They put about $2.9 million into the building, and we didn't have to pay that, okay? And so uh, it's a brand-new auditorium. There's great spaces for kids. And so we're going to be moving there. We think it's going to be a great way for us to reach more people for Christ. And uh, with that, though, does come a cost. And so in July, uh, I shared with everyone, hey, um, we want you to consider giving uh, over and above what your normal kind of gift is. And so our goal was $50,000, and I wanted to give you an update today on what we have received uh, so far. So as of uh, today, we have received $29,880, okay? So very, very cool, absolutely. And I personally want to thank each one of you who have been so generous uh, to be able to help with this, because it doesn't happen without your generosity. And... uh, For some of you, maybe you're here and like you kind of took the summer off, but now you're back, you know, it's kind of like fall and you're in the swing of it, and you haven't heard about this at all, and we still need some help. So if you're willing to help in any way, any gift, uh, what we'd like you to do is just go ahead and uh, figure out what your pledge might be there, or you can also do so on our app uh, or on uh, the website, thejar.org, and you simply go to that. And there's a place on the website that says, just join, uh, just, uh, here it is, join our Forward Faith campaign. This is why I'm not real good with this stuff. But anyways, just go there, and uh, you can click on that. You can go ahead and uh, be a part of that. And let me say this. Um, most of all, we just want you to ask God, God, do you want me to give? And if God tells you no, then don't give. Please, don't give. Obey God. I'm telling you, don't give a cent. But if God asks you to give, I pray that you might be willing to do so so that we are able to move into our new location and to see what God does and moves in that. Well, today we're beginning a brand new series called Confidence. Or sometimes if you're like me, it's more like a question. Confidence? You know, like not so sure. I mean, I want to be confident. I want to be able to uh, sound confident. But many times in my life, I am not confident. And the reality is, is that sometimes confidence actually gets beaten out of us. And the reason that it does is because the evil one will come to us and he'll say things like this. You can't do it. You can't make this happen. You're not big enough. You don't have what it takes. And when we hear those things and then we lack confidence, what happens is we actually become less joyful, we become less generous, we become less engaging, and a lack of confidence actually can rob you of your life. And it makes everything harder. You go into the interview, and you're not very confident, and they say, well, tell me about yourself. I'm here. You know, it makes it more difficult. Or you're getting ready to shoot a basket, or you're throwing a ball, or you're doing something like that. And if you don't have confidence, it doesn't look good. 
It's harder to perform very well in your job when you don't have confidence. It's harder to talk when you don't have confidence. And so the natural question becomes this. It'll come up on the side screen. Where can I get confidence? Because the reality is all of us would like to walk through life every single day feeling like we are a confident person. You know, I was thinking this week that maybe the person, maybe the guy uh, who has more grounds than anyone else to have the highest level of confidence and that we should look to to see is this guy right here. Tom the devil. Okay. Just joking if you're a Patriots fan. Okay. But this is Tom Brady. He is ridiculously handsome. Yeah, it's always the female that's like, woo, yeah, yeah. He's ridiculously handsome. He has great teeth. He has a great smile. He has great hair. He's amazingly talented. He's a winner. He's won five different Super Bowls. And he's married to a supermodel, for heaven's sake. And he's famous all over the world, and he makes like a gazillion dollars. So humanly speaking, if you want to live with confidence, guys, just be born like Tom Brady. Just be born with incredible athletic ability, amazing leadership gifts, being really popular, winning five Super uh, Bowls, marry a supermodel, have great hair, great teeth, and a world-famous gazillion dollars in the bank. Now, if you're a woman right now and you're sitting next to a man, just look at him because right now he's feeling dejected and disappointed. So just reach over to him, tap him on the arm, and look at him with a whisper and say, too late. It's too late. Don't do it on purpose. Just a joke, folks. But if you're interested in knowing about confidence, but not the kind that Tom Brady has, I want to talk about a confidence of a guy who wrote something that is just remarkable. It's amazing. It's a guy by the name of Paul who's in the Bible. And he gives a staggering claim that no one in human history had ever made before or since. And it's this. This is what he says. Therefore, we are always confident. In fact, let's read this out loud together all in one voice. Okay? One, two, three. Therefore, we are always confident. Now, Paul didn't just throw words out loosely. You think about it. What would it look like every single day? Good day, bad day, good mood, bad mood, um, difficult tasks, hard circumstances to always be confident. Now, Paul, let me tell you. He was no Tom Brady, okay? In fact, we don't know exactly what Paul looked like, but this was the description that we've heard before. He was short, bald, and had a hooked nose. We didn't put his picture up, by the way, okay? He didn't have a lot of money. In fact, he didn't have any money. He wasn't famous. He was actually infamous. He spent most of his life in jail, He wasn't married to a supermodel. He wasn't even married at all. And here's the thing about Paul. He was very confident, but he was not self-confident. He was confident in God. God had placed his spirit into Paul 
And so Paul says then, when God's Spirit's in me, therefore, I can always be confident. But when it comes to confidence, Paul says, hey, actually, it's kind of a paradox. He says it's actually a paradox. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says it so clearly. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How weird is that? When I am weak, then I'm strong. Like, really? Like, that's the best you can do, Paul. There's a guy by the name of Andy Crouch who wrote a great book called Strong and Weak. I'd encourage you to read it. And he talks about how we tend to think of weaknesses and strengths on a continuum across from one another. And he uses these words, he uses the word vulnerability, and he uses, on the other end of the continuum, the word authority. You're either vulnerable, or you have authority, and you have power. Now, a lot of us think this way. We think, man, if I could just have more authority in my life, more good looks, more money, more education more wealth, whatever, so forth. And then there are some people who actually feel more comfortable when they're vulnerable. And we think of it on this single continuum. And Andy says you should actually think of it more like two continuums. That you either have high or low authority, and you either have high or you have low vulnerability. I mean, when you look at the Bible, it's very interesting that God gives us as human beings a human, as human beings, a huge amount of authority. When God created human beings, you know what he said? He looked at you and he said, you are created in my image. You're actually in the image of God. You have the same power that he can give to you because you were created like him. God actually said this, I want you to exercise dominion over all of the earth. I want you to reign good and powerfully over all the earth. Like a queen, like a king, you have that kind of power. But when it comes to vulnerability, he also made it very clear that human beings are very vulnerable. In Genesis it says this, both Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Now just the word naked, folks, makes us feel vulnerable. People today will say things like this. Well, I just felt naked. I felt exposed. I felt very vulnerable. Uh, You'll see this sometimes, especially in high school or in in college, when you're with a group of people and all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I I just feel naked. I feel vulnerable. I feel exposed. I'm not just what everyone else is. I mean, part of what's so interesting about this word is that only human beings are naked. Think about it. Uh, Have you ever seen one of those people, maybe you are one of those people, that you take your cat or your dog and you dress them up in a sweater? Don't point at anybody, okay, but we know who you are. But you dress them up in a sweater, you dress them up in a coat because you're cold. But when they don't have a sweater on or they don't have a coat on, you don't go, look at that naked cat. No one ever does that. You don't go, hey, look at that naked dog. You don't do that. Because animals can't be naked. Only human beings can. When my girls were real little, we'd take them to the uh, Indianapolis Zoo and the baboon exhibit. You know, those things, they show everything. And they would just sit there and they'd laugh. They'd be like, ah, you know. 
Have you ever heard this one before? Why is it you never see two elephants swimming together? Because they only have one pair of trunks. I'm feeling kind of naked right now. Feeling a little vulnerable to... Okay, that didn't go as well as I thought. All right, well, folks, God made us to be high in authority and also to be high in vulnerability. I mean, when the greatest human being who ever lived, Jesus Christ, came to earth, he was very high in vulnerability and he was very high in authority. He actually said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And yet he was so vulnerable as a human being that the Bible says that he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. I mean, think about that. You're God's son. You're the second of the Trinity. He took on the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he was humiliated just like a common thief. You see, what people saw in Jesus was what they had never seen before. It was a person who had great authority and power, but he was high in vulnerability as well. You see, Jesus was revealing something to us that was deep about the human condition. So Andy Crouch takes this concept of strong and weak, vulnerability and authority, and he says you should look at it in a sense of quadrants. And you can look at it in your program as well, or online. For example, let's look at this fourth quadrant. It's high authority and it's low vulnerability. No vulnerability. You're invulnerable. That moves people when they're in that to exploit and to oppress other people. My youngest daughter, Shiloh, experienced this two weeks ago when they're on the playground and a bully came up and hit her in the stomach. I found that kid and I turned... No, I'm joking, I didn't. But she comes home, you know, the first time she'd ever been hit, she's like, Dad, you know, you know what? He's a bully. That's what he was, and he got kicked out of school, and he was trying to exploit this little girl. We see it with tyrants all over the world. Why do we have the issues in Syria right now? Because there's someone who is exploiting with high authority, but he's not vulnerable at all. Now, if somebody has no authority and they don't want to experience any vulnerability, they go to this third kind of quadrant and they withdraw. When people feel like they have no power and they don't want to be vulnerable with anything, they withdraw away. And they ignore. They avoid. They go in their cocoon. And a lot of people live life like, that, life like this. Then if someone has very little authority, but they're extremely vulnerable in the second quadrant there. They don't have education. They don't have money. They don't have resources. They're extremely vulnerable. That's where they're at. They have this sense of suffering. And we see it in the third world countries all the time. They don't have resources. They don't have something. And so they are suffering. And then if we experience great authority and we have great vulnerability, and this is your fill-in, your first fill-in, in the upper uh, right-hand quadrant, we're more like Christ. We're transparent with each other. We're dependent upon each other. Then what happens is as human beings, as a community, we actually flourish. We, we flourish as a person because we have high authority. We believe that God's given us. We're made in His image. But we're extremely vulnerable to be open, to be dependent 
upon God and other people around us. Now, in our culture, which one of these quadrants do you think we're more tempted than anything else to live in? Number four. We want high authority. We want the power. I got the power, you know. I want all the power, but I don't want to be vulnerable. I want no vulnerability at all. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a character in the Bible who wrestled with this concept of authority and vulnerability and a lack of confidence of what did confidence mean in his life. And we're going to look at a guy by the name of Jacob, whose story is in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and how he struggled with this. In fact, folks, he actually struggled with this before he was even born. When he was in the womb, he struggled with this. He has a mom and a dad named Isaac and Rebecca. They were married for 20 years. And for 20 years, the only thing that they wanted was to have children. And so they prayed to God and they asked God. And year after year after year, year 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 19, 20, no kids. Some of you know the pain that goes with that. And in this culture, if you weren't able to have a child and you were a woman, what would happen is they would actually say, well, you're cursed. You've got a curse on you. And children were so important because they were your social security. If you were going to actually be able to make it older in life, that's who was going to take care of you. And both Isaac and Rebecca, they prayed for 20 years and nothing happened. And then finally, after 20 years of prayer, God interceded and Rebecca became pregnant. Now, her pregnancy was extremely difficult and This is where Jacob's story begins. When her time came to give birth, sure enough, there were twins in her womb. Well, that tells us why, you know, she's having a tough pregnancy. She's got twins. And the first one came out reddish, as if a snuggly wrapped in a hairy blanket. Isn't that like a cute little cuddly little baby? And they named him Esau, which meant hairy. His brother followed his fist clutched tight to Esau's hill. They named him Jacob, which means grabber or healer. Now, this is before he's even born. He's like in the womb. It's just him and his brother. They're there and he's like, he's going to get to the exit before I do. And he's going to come out first. And he's going to be the firstborn. And he's going to get the blessing. And he's going to get the inheritance. And he's going to get all the good stuff. And dad's going to like him better. And he's going to get all the land and all the money. And I won't. And he's going to be number one. And I'm going to be number two. So I need to fight for myself. I will grab my brother's hill. And I'll yank him back in at the last second. And then I'll be the first one to come out. I'll be number one. I'll be the firstborn. But his plan fails. He's the first fetal failure. He's in there and he fails. And he deals with this for the rest of his life until it actually saves his life. So here are these two twins. They're born to their mom and dad, Rebecca and Isaac. And then the text goes on. The boys grew up. Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. Jacob was a quiet man, preferring life indoors among the tents. 
Esau is a man's man. He's a hunter. He wears camouflage. He goes down to Cabela's and lives, you know. I mean, he's just one of these kind of guys, and, and he's tough. He, he's Tom Brady with just a lot more hair, you know. And, and poor Jacob, he's not that at all. He's inside all the time. He's sensitive, and he doesn't have as much, as much testosterone as his brother. And the parents pick favorites, which is so horrible. Look what happens. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau because he loved his game. Esau was a hunter, and Isaac loved food that Esau would bring. So Isaac wasn't worried about anything except getting his belly full. Isaac said, son, go get something and bring it to us. Isaac was the first one that had the Arby slogan, we got the meat. And every time Esau could come back and he'd be like, hey, we got the meats, dad. But look what it says. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, why does Rebecca love Jacob the most? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we have to kind of fill in the blanks. Maybe it's because she felt sorry for him. Maybe it's because he was an indoor kid and they were together all the time. Maybe it was because she had problems with Esau and she had problems with Isaac and This was a way of getting back at them. But whatever the reason was, the scripture tells us she loved Jacob more. And she loved Jacob, but she did not love Esau. The problem was is that Jacob then grew up and his identity became this. I'm not Esau. Esau is the strong one. Esau is the hunter. Esau is my dad's favorite. I'm extremely sensitive to rejection and not being loved, and now this is my identity. I am the one who my father doesn't love. And I was thinking about it, that there are many of us in this gym today That we look at our identity and we might say, I am the one my father doesn't love. I am the one my mother doesn't love. I am the one my brother doesn't love. I am the one my sister doesn't love. I am the one who my husband doesn't love. I'm the one who my wife doesn't love. I'm the one who my son doesn't love. I am the one who my daughter doesn't love. And folks, when we have that feeling, our heart breaks and our confidence gets crushed. And then we begin to think, you know what, if I was only like Esau, if I was only like this person, if I was only like that person, if I only had Esau's wealth, if I only had Esau's looks, if I only had Esau's body, if I only had Esau's gifts, if I only had Esau's personality. And this kind of leads to the first thing that I really want you to remember today, and I hope you remember it for the rest of your life, because it's a truth that has spoken to me so much as I prepared for this series, and it's this. When we compare ourselves to others, folks, we lose our confidence. Every time 
you do the comparison game and you compare yourself to someone else, you lose confidence. And what happens is you miss who God created you to be. Because you are created in the image of God. He looks at you. You are, you are his favorite. He loves you. He doesn't want you to compare. And you miss the blessing that he has for you. But Jacob doesn't see this. All Jacob sees is, man, if I were only like Esau. And then there is this struggle. There's this battle that goes on between these two brothers for the rest of their life. Who's going to get the blessing? Who's going to get the birthright? Who's going to be the inheritance? Who's going to be the favorite of dad? And this goes on and on and on and on. And then finally Isaac becomes very old and he becomes blinded and he loses his senses and he's close to dying. And so he turns to his favorite son Esau and he says, Esau, why don't you go out and hunt and bring back some of that stew that I love and we'll eat together and when we after we eat I'll give you my blessing. What Isaac didn't know though was that Rebecca was eavesdropping. Now women never do that though, right? I mean like that that doesn't happen, right? And Rebecca's eavesdropping and she hears everything that's going on and she's like, well, this isn't the way it's supposed to turn out. So she runs to Jacob and she says, Jacob, I'm going to make some stew because this is what's going to happen. You're going to lose the inheritance. I'm going to make some stew. And then you go and take it into your dad and you pretend to be Esau. And you'll get the blessing. And you'll get the inheritance. And you'll get all the good stuff. So go, Jacob, and do that. And then Jacob responds to his mom. You can almost hear like a whining voice. But my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I have smooth skin. What happens if my father touches me? I'll bring down a curse upon myself instead of a blessing. And here Jacob... He's not concerned about ethics like this is a wrong thing to do. What's he concerned about, folks? That he might get what? Caught. He might get caught. I don't want to have the curse, mama. And then look at what Rebecca's response is. And it's very interesting. His mother says this to him. If it comes to that, I'll take the curse on myself. Now just go do what I say. Now, folks... This tells us something interesting about her because Rebecca has this high sense of authority and power in the family. But she doesn't feel vulnerable at all. She's in quadrant four. I mean, even though they lived in a patriarchal world where men were the ones who made the decision, it didn't happen that way in this family. Actually, Rebecca, the wife, was the more stronger personality with the more forceful will. Now, that doesn't ever happen in marriages, though, right? Don't, don't point, men. Don't point. Well, this is what is happening in this marriage, and you can see it in her response to Jacob. Oh, yeah? Like, I'm really worried about your dad? <laughs> I'm not worried about him at all. I don't care what he says. If there's a curse, bring it on to me. No big deal. 
So Rebecca uses her authority. She has no vulnerability whatsoever. And she winds up in the fourth quadrant. And she exploits her father or her husband and her son. You know what quadrant we're tempted to live in? Quadrant four. To exploit other people. To have all the authority and all the power that I can have and have no vulnerability at all. And you know what that is, folks? That's sin. It promises all authority and no vulnerability. And we know this because it goes right back to the very first couple of the Bible, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in this paradise, everything's great, but then a temptation comes through the serpent. And remember, the snake, the serpent's common, if your Bible knowledge at all is this. If you'll trust me instead of God, if you'll disconnect from God... You will actually be like God. High authority. And you will surely not die. No vulnerability at all. And so Eve listens and she defies God and then Adam listens and he defies God as well. And then what happens is actually the opposite of that. Because temptation and sin may promise you High authority, folks. Sin, doing the wrong thing, will promise you high authority. But there's no vulnerability at all. And this is the thing. It never comes through. And you're like, well, I've seen it come through. Yeah, it does for a period of time. But long term, folks, it never comes through. And eventually, you know where you land? You land in quadrant two. And you start to suffer. Where there's... All vulnerability, and you have no authority. And suffering takes place. So in our story, Rebecca goes to her favorite son, and she says, Come to me to quadrant four. We'll exploit your dad. We'll exploit your brother. You'll get the blessing. You'll get the inheritance. You'll get what you need. You just have to pretend to be your brother Esau. You can put on his clothes. You can put on some goat skin. You'll feel just like him. You can talk like him. You'll act like him. And so Jacob goes into the presence of his dad. And it's like a a script in a movie. There's like this huge drama. And he walks in and it says this. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, Isaac replied. Isaac is very feeble. He can't see. He doesn't hear very well. And which son are you? And Jacob answered him, I am Esau. And then he sins and he exploits it even more. And he says, I am your firstborn, your son Esau. Dad, I'm number one. I'm your firstborn son. And Jacob fools his dad and he gets the blessing. He gets the inheritance. You know, here Jacob learns a little lesson that many of us learn. That if you cannot get what you want by being who you really are, maybe you can get it by pretending to be something that you're not. Maybe 
if I can't get what I want by being Jacob, then what I can do is I can simply be Esau. You know, I was thinking about it this week that one of the things that I've wrestled with my entire life is being a pretender. And uh, it started very young. I was thinking about it, uh, I think I was five or six years old. I don't remember what I did, but I disobeyed my parents in some way. But instead of taking responsibility for what I had done, I ran into my room, I put my cowboy outfit on, and I walked back out, and I said, Amy, I don't know what that Chris did, but I'm Tex, and I'm a good little boy. And you would say, oh, that's a cute story, but it didn't just stop in elementary school. It went on to middle school. See, one of the things, if you're a PK, if you're a preacher's kid, the one thing you don't want other kids to know is that you're a preacher's kid. And so I made up this little pretend story. It wasn't too bad of a sin because my dad used to be a tool and die maker, and so I just told everybody he was a tool and die maker. So I wouldn't get laughed at, that people wouldn't see me exactly the way I was, but I could be something different. In high school, I can remember working at a church camp as a volunteer for one week. And uh, while I was there, there was a lifeguard, and she was a real attractive hottie. And I was like, well, there's no way she wants to have anything to do with me. I mean, I was 14, she was uh, 17. You know, this is going to happen. And then I had this scheme in my mind. If I told her my name was Ian and I was an exchange student from Australia, mate, that this would actually work, mate. And it did. The entire week I had this accent, mate, to be an Australian. And she actually left her boyfriend who was a lifeguard there she drove me, because I didn't have a driver's license, to a movie. We watched a movie, went out to eat, came back, and all of it happened because I had a fake Australian accent. And you might be saying, but you sound like a hick. I know. And you know what it went to show me very early in my life? How far I would go to pretend to be something that... I wasn't. In college, I was always the joke guy, a joke about everything, never talked about my life, a joke, a joke, a joke. I fell behind being the joke guy. And the reason was because I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want people to see maybe my own inadequacies, my own insecurities. It didn't stop at college. Very first trial sermon I did, I didn't think people would ever want to listen to something that I would have to say. So I took one of my dad's sermons and I did exactly word for word everything he said because I wanted to look better than what I actually was. First five years of my marriage, I just pretended often that I was something that I wasn't just so Jennifer wouldn't see how much insecurity and inadequacy I felt as a man. And sometimes today, if I'm not careful, and it's one of the reasons why I have an accountability partner who meets with me every single week, if I'm not careful, folks, I'm very tempted to pretend 
to be something. And you might be sitting there and you might be asking, why in the world would you try to be something that you're not, Chris? Because sometimes, I think if it was just me, if it was just me that showed up, that maybe I'm not enough. But I have a feeling that I'm not the only person in this gym who ever struggles with having confidence in their life or sometimes has a tendency to pretend that there's something more than what they actually are. I have a feeling that some of you struggle with confidence in huge ways and maybe you're big and bad and you try to buff it up and you try to cover but you know in your heart you're not there. And others of you, you feel so vulnerable, I don't have anything. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus actually came because he was the first person who showed all authority and all vulnerability, and he attracted people to himself. Why? Because he would look at them and he'd say, Stop pretending. Just be yourself. I love you exactly the way you are. And the religious people didn't like it. Because he attracted people like tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and losers and cheaters. And the religious world didn't want to have it. And he created this little community where he said, if you come in here, the first thing that I just want you to do is take your mask off. Just take your mask off and be who God created you to be. I mean, Jesus hated it when the religious leaders would pretend and they would act that they were better than they were and they would use faith or God or the Bible or something else to show that they were something more than they actually were. And folks, if we want to become a community where we can just come in and we can be real and who we are... That only happens when there's true confidence, where we have high authority, but we're totally vulnerable to what God wants to do. And I'm telling you, when we move to the Civic, the location will not make all the difference. What will make the difference is if you as individuals are willing to say, we don't pretend here. We just love people no matter where they're at and we accept them and we grow them into a way on, the, on God's timetable so that God gets the glory and honor and we simply get a chance to lift him up. Well, Jacob doesn't do this, though. What happens to Jacob, folks, is that he ends up in quadrant two. His brother Esau says, I'm going to kill you. And his mom hears about this, that there is this uh, hit out on Jacob's life and Esau is going to take him out. And she looks at her little indoor boy and says, Jacob, you ain't going to be able to do this. You need to get out. Run away. And he runs away from home and he's all by himself and no one's there and he's suffering in his pain. And he actually took rocks around his head to keep the animals away. And he's scared to death for his life. Why? Because he's at maximum vulnerability, but he has no power, no authority in his life at all. And then God shows up. And Jacob has this vision of a ladder. 
And you know, growing up in church, the one thing we always talked about was, I'm climbing Jacob's ladder. Folks, we got it wrong. The ladder is not a vision of Jacob climbing up to God. It is God climbing down to Jacob. And he climbs down and he says, here's a piece of heaven. I love you. And the story goes on to say, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now, isn't that weird? Abraham's not his father. Abraham is what? His grandfather. Why doesn't God say your father, Isaac? Because Isaac wasn't Jacob's father. Isaac was Esau's father. And I think God kind of knew that Jacob was alone and by himself and felt like the world had walked away from him and he had no confidence at all. And God climbs down the ladder and says to him, I know. I care. I will be your father. And Jacob has the spiritual awakening of a God that seemed so far removed. And now he was personal. He was my father. And it doesn't solve all the problems. He still has a lot of mess that he goes through. But what he says is this. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. God is actually right here. He has come to me. Little Jacob, number two, not number one, not the one who's the most popular, not the one that everyone looks at. I'm the deceiver. I'm the grabber. I could trust God, though, now, and God is starting to trust me. And God says, all peoples... Think about this, this little grabber boy, this little grabber, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. Folks, wherever you go, the most ordinary place could be extraordinary. And because... It's happening not because you're doing something extraordinary, but because God will be with you. And God invites Jacob into a whole new life, and he says, Jacob, come up to quadrant one. I'm going to give you authority, and I'm going to give you tons of vulnerability, but you turn to me. That's where we flourish. You know, maybe... The place in our lives where we feel the least confident more than anything else is when it comes to sharing our faith. When it comes to sharing our faith with another person that that I know Jesus or I'm going to church or I'm hanging out, that, that we get scared and terrified and afraid and we don't want to say anything to anybody because we're afraid of rejection and and so we don't say anything to our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, and they're on the side. Uh, They're on the sidelines. They're wanting to be in the game, but they need to be invited. And so next week we're going to be providing a training for anyone to come and to get some real tips, practical tips on how you can live an invitational life. 
Because the reality is, folks, the reason you're here today is because somebody invited you at some point. And that's the way the kingdom works best, is when we invite people not to be pretenders, but simply to come in to experience God's love. And so next week, 9.15, you can come at 9.15. I know that's hard for some of you. You're like, I'm not even breathing at 9.15, okay? But come at 9.15. You'll learn this, and then you can come to the second part of our series on confidence. And if you want to do that, the way you can do that is very easy. You just pull out your Connect card, that upper right-hand corner, the blue box, just check it. And if you're just interested in the class, you check it, and we'll help you to learn how to live an invitational life. And you can sign up, and we'll remind you this week. Just make sure your name, phone number, that kind of stuff's on there. Well, it's time to land the plane. Some of you are like, Bunch, you could have landed it 10 months ago and I'd have been fine, okay? But we're going to land the plane. We're going to land the teaching right now. We're going to do it by simply asking this question. What matters most? You have to answer this. How much confidence you have or what you put your confidence in? How much confidence you have or what you put your confidence in? I played Little League Baseball. I was not good. I was horrible, actually. But one of the first practices, the coach came and said, hey, does anyone want to be a catcher? And I was a real confident little kid. I'm like, I'll be it. So they came out and they put this catcher's mask on me. And they put a chest protector and they put these leg guards on me. And he said, now, Chris, the important thing of being a catcher is you've got to be confident. You've got to be confident that you're going to catch the ball. You just have to believe that you can do that. And I was like, okay, coach, I, I'm ready. And so I get down in my catcher's position, and the ball comes down, and the pitcher throws it, and I caught it. I'm like, this is the best coach ever. I mean, all I had to do was have a little confidence, and I was going to do that. And he said, okay, now we're going to put a batter up here. So I came down, and the batter gets up, gets ready to bat. And I didn't have a batter the first time. It was just the pitcher. But now there's a batter, and they swing this bat. And when they would swing the bat, I would close my eyes like this, and the ball hit me right in the catcher's mask. And it went straight down. And I'm thinking the first time, I'm thinking, well, you know what? I just need a little more confidence. All right, we're going to be confident. And I did this, and I went back down again. Fifteen minutes, got hit in the catcher's mask every single time, never caught a ball. And finally, out of the corner of my eye, I think the coach realized, like, we've got to save this poor kid. And he came over, and I'll never forget, he came over, and I, I, I took my, my catcher's misfop, threw it off, you know, like an a all-star catcher, because I knew it was the last time I was ever going to wear a mask, you know. And I'd throw it off, and i go, Coach, I don't need confidence. I need God, you know. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much confidence you have if you have massive incompetence. Because this is what I want you to remember and take home with you today. It's better to have a little confidence in God than it is to have massive confidence in yourself. It's better to have just a little confidence in God than to have massive confidence in yourself. And that's why I think Paul wrote these words. 
Therefore, always be confident. He's not talking about the self-confidence. He's talking about a confidence in God. Because our confidence is not about anything that we have done. Our confidence is in the God who is always able. And what I'd like to do is just give you a moment right now to be with God. We're going to turn off the lights. And folks, all of us struggle with confidence. We do. And some of you are sitting here today and you're going through some tough stuff in your life. And you're like, I need confidence. But you don't need self-confidence, folks. You just need confidence in God. And so I'm going to give you a moment, and then I'm going to pray. And let's invite God's Spirit to come, because He truly is able to give us what we don't have ourselves. God, for most of us, we would say, hey, we know you're able to do all things. We feel confident in that. But God, right now, some of us are pretty vulnerable. We've had some tough stuff in front of us, or we battle with feeling like we fit in and we need your help. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you just feel hurt or you feel disappointed or you would never say it out loud, but in your mind and in your heart, you think sometimes, I wish I was somebody else. I wish I could be more like whoever. And maybe you have a tendency to compare yourself to other people. And when you do, you just sense that, man, I'm losing confidence and I don't feel loved. Now, I just want you to know right now that wherever you're at, that God turns to you this morning and he says, I will be with you wherever you are. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, I love you no matter what, and I will watch over you. Bring all that vulnerability that you have to me. And let me remind you, I am with you, I am for you, I am able. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the always confident God. You've never said, God, I want you in my life. God, I want you to be first in my life. God, I need you to forgive me. I've messed up a lot, God. I don't know if I'm good enough, but God, would you forgive me? Would you love me? Would you care for me? Would you send me your grace? God, I need confidence. I I feel so inferior. God, would you give me confidence? And if that's you this morning, if you're sitting there in a place of your life where you're like, I need the confidence of God in my life, if that's where you're at and you want a relationship with him, I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me. 
And here at the jar, we never pray alone. We always pray together as a family. And so as you pray this, maybe it's the first time that you prayed it, but you're not the only one praying it. And so just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your confidence. That gives me hope. Thank you for giving me new life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God. And so if you did say that prayer for the first time today, we want to walk alongside with you. We want to celebrate you. Scotty is in the uh, back corner at the Accepted Christ table. And uh, we want to come alongside with you. So be sure to stop by there if that is uh, the prayer that you have prayed for the very first time or if you're recommitting to Christ today. Um, so on the back of your Connect card, there's also a space to mark uh, if you've accepted Christ today, uh, as well as um, Emily at the beginning of the service talked about small groups. So there's a space to mark on there uh, if you're interested in finding out more information about small groups. And so that Connect card, we just want you to fill that out and then turn that in. And then at the uh, top of the front is that blue box. So Chris mentioned the Invitational Life class. It's going to be next uh, week on Sunday at 9.15 in the exercise room upstairs. Um, if you want to get more information about that, check that blue box of that Connect card. So just fill that out whether you're brand new or you've been coming forever. It's just our way to connect with you and to get to know you. Uh, we also have an app that you can fill out and download. And you can give through the app and do all sorts of fun things. So make sure that you get that if you haven't already. And so I'm going to ask the, uh, uh, the greeters to come forward, and we're going to take an offering. We are not a place that's about money. We're about getting to know you. Uh, but we do want to have an opportunity to give back to God because God is so good to us, and he's given so much to us. We want to give back to him. Um, so we just ask that you uh, talk to God and see what he's calling on you to give. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you to learn about our confidence and how it can come from you, God. And we just pray that this offering is multiplied in your kingdom and just can do so much for you, God. Uh, we, we ask that you bless our givers and you bless the, our community so that we can move in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we also uh, have... The, um, we also have guest connections that is coming around. So if you have, if you've never been here before, and you want to uh, get connected, you can stop by guest connections, and uh, Jim's holding the sign up. You can say hi. And uh, we also have the group connect. So if you um, are signing up for a small group, wanting to get more information, we're going to have a group connect event. So that's going to be coming up. So if you want to look at the side screens here, we've got a video. What do you do when you want to buy a car? Well, first, you take it for a test drive and see if it's the right fit for you. What if you could do the same thing with a small group? 
Well, at Group Connect, you can. If you're even thinking about joining a small group, you have to come to Group Connect. It's on September 23rd from 12 to 1. Just follow the signs to the exercise room. Lunch and child care are provided. At Group Connect, you can meet our small group leaders and get a feel for what being in a small group is really like. Interested? You can sign up today on our app. Simply tap Sign Up and then Group Connect. So again, Group Connect, if you want to get connected, uh, that is going to be September 23rd, and then like the video said, right at noon. Um, and there's going to be lunch and child care provided. Just be sure to sign up for that if you're interested. So I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up if you have anything that you need prayer for. Well, when you uh, leave today, uh, each of you will receive a little card that looks like this that says, uh, always confident. So uh, if you're confident, stand, and we'll have our closing. So everybody stand real quick. And so when you leave, you'll receive one of these. And uh, when you get it, don't just throw it away because someone spent a lot of time laminating these. Okay? And so what I'd like you to do is put it on your mirror, put it, uh, you know, uh, if you're in school, put it in your locker. Uh, if you're driving all the time, put it on your dashboard. Uh, you know, if you have to, put it on the refrigerator because I know you're all going to be there sometime today, okay? And get this and remind yourself that you can always be confident, not self-confident, but confident in God, and that you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else because that simply loses confidence. But if you have just a little confidence in God, it is better than a massive confidence in yourself. So know that you're loved in this place. Have a great week. And if you can help us with teardown, pick up a chair and go that way. Thanks, everybody. Aww.